All of it is supported by Missouri, makers of handcrafted jewelry that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Missouri has you covered. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Dieting in America is big business, a more than $70 billion business annually, according to market researchers. And that was before months of isolation, bread baking, and the inability to go to the gym. The mother of all weight loss battles, quite literally, was Jean Neidich, who created Weight Watchers back in 1963. A new book by Marissa Meltzer called This is Big, How the Founder of Weight Watchers Changed the World and Me. It tells the story of Jean Neidich, a Queens housewife turned weight loss mogul, and it's Meltzer's story, too. Meltzer joined Weight Watchers in 2017 and chronicled her experience. Now, the book's chapters alternate between Jean Neidich's life and Meltzer's experience with the program. For example, in a chapter titled Visiting the Dark Side, Meltzer chronicles... going on a Weight Watchers cruise, where she and fellow passengers were immersed in the Weight Watchers culture of meetings, weigh-ins, pseudo-mandatory camaraderie. She writes in her book, the very act of sharing and listening turns dieting into an opportunity for growth, transformation, empowerment, all those things I thought I wanted. I wanted to get everything I could out of the experience, both on this cruise and at meetings at home in Brooklyn, but I kept coming up against my own ambivalence towards really devoting myself to Weight Watchers. The chief conflict was between my desire to do what was required and my awareness that my heart wasn't in it, really. I saw through the diet and passed it. The book covers how Weight Watchers became an empire, a lifestyle for some, and now struggles to rebrand itself in the age of wellness. And one journalist's row in the front seat. Front seat row. This is book, This is big. How the founder of Weight Watchers changed the world and me is out now. It is by Marissa Meltzer, who's written for the New York Times, Vogue, Vanity Fair, and many other pieces. Marissa, welcome to all of it. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry, I got a little distracted. The um, the Blue Angels are flying overhead, and, <laughs> and I could I could hear them. <laughs> I'm, I'm by a window, so I apologize for stumbling a little bit. Hey, listeners, no, wanting. Listeners, we want to hear from you. Are you someone who's been part of the Weight Watchers culture? What are your thoughts about the diet industry? And how are you thinking about fitness and dieting during the pandemic as the media warned us about the quarantine 15? Whether you're going to Instagram Live for workouts or being easier in self, we want to know how the pandemic pandemic is shaping the way you think about food and diet. Our number is 646-435-7280, 646-435-7280. You can always tweet to us at all of it WNYC. Like to remain anonymous, you can send us a message via Instagram. That is also at all of it WNYC. Your thoughts about weight loss, were you part of Weight Watchers culture, or your thoughts on the diet industry? 646-435-7280. 80. So you first became interested in Jean Neidich when you stumbled across her obituary, Marissa. What was it in that obituary that caught your attention? Well, first, it was that I thought I would be able to put a face on something that had kind of, I thought, plagued me my whole life. I thought, you know, oh, finally, I can blame someone for all of my issues around my weight. And it's going to be this woman 
But then I read her obituary, and she had this really fascinating story of a working-class Brooklyn housewife who lost weight and taught her friends the diet and, you know, became a millionaire and famous and dated Fred Astaire. And I had a feeling there was probably a lot more story. And I was also fascinated that even though we're in this time where we're really interested in female founders and women who've been kind of overlooked in history, like hidden figures, no one had been really telling Jean's story, not even Weight Watchers. That's so interesting. She, uh, she wrote about herself at one point, right? I, I'm curious she how did. she did. She had kind yeah. of like a corporate autobiography. So how did you want to shape her biography differently than how she framed her story? Luckily, her story was pretty brief. And so I knew that there was a lot of information beyond just kind of what she had to say for herself and the company. And because she was famous enough, there were tons of articles and TV appearances. And there was, you know, letters I could buy off eBay. And and I also Mm. wanted to read the book in American diet culture kind of at large. So I was able to do things like research trips to the Library of Congress and understand how the diet industry has grown and evolved. So let's talk about Jean. What was the moment in her life that was the catalyst to start Weight Watchers? She had a moment at a grocery store just after Labor Day in the early 60s, where a woman she didn't know very well, but didn't really like that much, mistook her for pregnant. And that moment, she knew that she couldn't go um, around being frustrated about being fat anymore, and that she really had to change her life. So she went to a New York City-sponsored diet program, which is really fascinating to think about a free city-sponsored diet program here in New York. And she lost the weight. And as she did that, she would share diet tips with her friends in Queens. They'd play mahjong and talk about it. And soon more and more people would come and learn and share. And Weight Watchers grew from that. Was there any kind of diet industry before Weight Watchers? There was. In fact, there was one company that's still around though not very well-known, called TOP. Um, I believe it stands for Taking Off Pounds Successfully. And um, it was a diet program, not unlike Weight Watchers or other diet programs, but um, if you gained weight, you were publicly shamed and sometimes had to put on a um, pig nose and sometimes even a sign in front of your house and sing a song. Um, So that one kind of went out of fashion. But, you know, there had been long diet diet fads um, for for decades. But the idea of uh, thin is the ideal and watching your weight and losing weight really started to coalesce in the post-war period. So what was different about Weight Watchers? What did it tune into? Weight Watchers' big idea was that community was going to be the base of everything, that 
dieting had previously been something that women and men too, of course, had to kind of privately struggle with. And even when Jean Nightish lost weight, she would see all of these other people in the waiting room at her diet center, but they weren't allowed or even encouraged to um, talk to each other or share any of their pain or their diet tips. And she thought that relying on each other could help not only sustain weight loss, but could help you psychologically as well. My guest is Marissa Meltzer. The name of her book is This Is Big, How the Founder of Weight Watchers Changed the World and Me. Let's go to a call. Rebecca is on line three. And Rebecca, you've been to Weight Watchers, yes? Hi, yes. Um, Super excited to be on. Um, So I'm 43 years old. And I've been on often on Weight Watchers. (laughs) I've been (laughs) often on Weight Watchers since high school. So I used to go when I was 13, and we would check off those boxes, and you would have like an apple, and you would check off all your water. Um, And then I've seen the evolution of it throughout my life, and it's really evolved in a nice, healthy way. Um, I like how it's adapted to the way we're living our lives now. And um, it's been an important part of my life. I'm not currently on it. Um, I do have to say I am a more active person now. So Weight Watchers didn't necessarily sort of evolve with my lifestyle. I'm a runner now and I sort of felt like it was, it didn't work for me as well. Um, And just to sort of bring it back to like the COVID dieting, the first four weeks I was really great about eating healthy, um, probably because I thought I wasn't going to be stuck in a teeny apartment for months on end. But I do have to say that the past couple weeks I've fallen off because life's stressors are just, I can only control so much right now. And controlling my diet, I'm still trying to get my fruits and vegetables and I'm drinking my water, but I'm eating a lot of candy as well. (laughs) I can't stop. So (sighs) Um, but I, I think Weight Watchers really provides a, a wonderful roadmap for people to learn healthy eating. Um, and I think the community aspect, I think it's harder in New York um, because there aren't as many places to have those meetings. So when I moved to New York, I was mostly online. Um, but when I was back in high school and when I lived in Los Angeles, I was able to get to the meetings more. And then, you know, that adds a really great element of accountability um, that I didn't find as much through the online platform. But the online platform reaches more people. Thanks for calling in, Rebecca. I was funny that you chimed in there, Marissa, because you decided to make Weight Watchers part of this part of this story and part of this journey of writing this book right around the time you were forty. What were your What were you anticipating when you went into Weight Watchers? Did you have some sort of perception of the company? I think I, I had a certain amount of snobbery, if if I'm being honest. <laughs> I think that I thought that I had problems that were, I don't know, more difficult than Weight Watchers, or I needed something more special and tailored to me, and had this idea that Weight Watchers was for suburban housewives, and I was not that. But what I ended up finding was that the meetings I went to in Brooklyn and Park Slope were incredibly diverse, and that there were not only diverse in terms of uh, class and race, but also reasons why people were losing weight and how they were losing weight. 
Let's take another call. Brad is on line one, and he's calling us from Nourishelle. Hi, Brad. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Doing great. Listen, I love the show, by the way. Um, I've used Weight Watchers off and on for years, um, and usually it has been through an at-work program. And it was always sort of difficult to get Weight Watchers to keep them going with any continuity because they always had minimums that were higher than we could get to. And so we would do really well, a group of us, usually a bunch of women and me, um, but there aren't very many guys that seem to want to do it at my office at least. But even for a time, we started to get more people, and then a lot of people sign up, then only a few of them come to the meeting. That frustrates the moderator frustrates everyone else because then when you're renewing you can't get going again so we would go for like 11 weeks 17 weeks whatever we got and then we'd be out for six months and then we could come back again and go out again currently i'm out and i'm into my covid 20 at this point so um i just wish they could be a little more lenient about that because we do pay more when it is at at work situation than you do if you go into an actual store that's um, interesting. Brad, that's thank basically you. it. But Th- it's been very helpful in, in when, it, when I'm able to get onto it. Thank you so much for sharing your story. We appreciate it. Let's talk to Claudia in Princeton. Hi, Claudia. Thanks for calling in. Hi, how are you? I'm happy to uh, have got it in, and thank you so much. I listen to your show every day now in quarantine. Oh, so um, glad to have you aboard. So you are you're embracing the fitness part of, of being, being home. Well, I've been, well, not embracing the fitness part. I'm embracing the, the diet part, which okay. is, and I, I saw the quarantine as a great opportunity, actually, to um, really try to go vegan. So I, I was part of this challenge, and I brought this, like, vegan meal prep. And um, it was honestly, this is a great opportunity because what always was messing me up is restaurants, going out with friends. You know, you, you have a couple of drinks, and then next thing you know, you're just eating whatever. So I actually was really happy about the quarantine in terms of that, of being able to control um, what I eat. However, where I am struggling is working out. I was an avid gotcha. crossfitter since 2013, like working out four to five times, even five to six times a week. And that's gone out the window. So I'm now on my quarantine 10 pounds. Um, <laughs> so I, that's what I'm, I think what holding me back and really getting to me is the social aspect of it. I, I really miss um, working out with people. And I think that's why I'm struggling to motivate myself to work out at all. Um, well, but the positive is I can control my diet. Well, I really appreciate you calling in and sharing your story. I appreciate it so much. Our number is 646-435-7280. Our guest this hour is Marissa Meltzer. The name of her book is This is Big, How the Founder of Weight Watchers Changed the World and Me. So when the, the me part, let's talk about the me part, meaning you, Marissa, a, a little bit. Yeah. Um, it was very interesting. And I heard the word, I think from almost all the callers, maybe three out of four, the word control. Mm-hmm. And... I'm sort of curious, when you were going through the Weight Watchers experience, how much was control, whatever that means in this situation, a, a part of your experience? Control is hard. Um, yeah, I think that sometimes I feel like I have more control or, I don't know, willpower is the right word. I'm on a really good track and then... Other times I feel like the real 
joy that I get is from letting go and kind of going into oblivion a little bit, which maybe what a lot of us are looking for in this quarantine moment, a little bit of like comfort or distraction or entertainment from our food. Um, one thing that I did find was that in Jean's life, and I also think my own, is that even when you do have that tight control over your food and maybe you do successfully lose weight, some of those core desires to kind of rebel from yourself or to to chase excess can manifest themselves in other parts of your life. For me, it's like shopping. For Jean Neidich, it was gambling and um, kind of living beyond her means. And so I think it's important to really think about um, not only what you're trying to control, but why and, and where it might, you know, um, come out in other ways. Let's talk about Jean Weight Watchers and feminism. You, you alluded to it. Normally, a, a leader like this and a pioneering company would be somewhat iconic in feminist circles, but weight loss and feminism have this sort of thorny relationship. You even ask in the book, I'm going to read from page 163, is Weight Watchers feminist? The corporation profits from gendered stigma. So the company's fundamental goal is financial growth rather than liberation. However, what Jean's vision had in common with Orbach, who wrote the book Fat is a Feminist Issue, as well as the consciousness raising groups, was that it gave women a place to be heard. That was the key to Weight Watchers beyond the diet plan itself. Jean rose above her peers like Dr. Atkins and was a hero to her fans because she gave women space and community. Dieting had always been something for women to slog through alone, guided by the faceless faraway writers in women's magazines. Weight Watchers was essentially another private way for women had of working to keep up with the labor of femininity. So in your, and you, and you identify as a feminist, was Weight Watchers, yeah, was Weight Watchers, do you think it is feminist or is it anti-feminist? Was Jean a feminist in some ways? I think Jean definitely lived a life that was atypical for women of her time. I mean, when she first got a lease on her first Weight Watchers office, or location her husband had to sign for it. Um, hmm. I am not, I don't think that she probably called herself a feminist, even though she did sometimes appear in photos in Weight Watchers magazine with Gloria Steinem, so who knows. But I call myself a feminist and have my whole life, but I don't think that Weight Watchers or, or dieting is an inherently feminist act. Um, you know, we do live in times when the beauty standard is really rigid and society has a long way to go in terms of opening up um, what we consider beautiful and desirable. But at the same time, I think it puts pressure on feminists like me to pretend like I'm not dieting or like my relationship to my body is sort of more okay than it really is. What I would like is if we could have just a more realistic conversation about it and not be trying to prove anything to anyone, just be, I don't know, a little bit honest and vulnerable, especially in these times. 
My guest is Marissa Meltzer. The name of her book is This is Big, How the Founder of Weight Watchers Changed the World and Me. If you'd like to join this conversation, we're curious, have you been through Weight Watchers? What are your thoughts about the diet industry? How are you thinking about fitness and diet during the pandemic as everybody's sort of concerned about the quarantine 15? Our number is 646-435-7280, or you can chime in on social media at all of it WNYC on Twitter and at all of it WNYC on Instagram. So, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the, the feminist aspect. You mentioned that her husband had to sign for the lease for the first Weight Watcher space and she kind of got pushed out of her own company. Would you tell that story? Yeah, she was the founder of Weight Watchers, but she was not someone who considered herself to have um, a lot of business aptitude and um, what started to franchise and expand the company with the help of some co-founders. And as the years went on, her role um, grew to be more and more kind of ornamental. She was a mascot. She was on the cover of um, frozen food and she did a lot of visiting of new Weight Watchers locations and that kind of thing. But more and more, the actual running of the company was done without her. At a certain point, after around 10 years, uh, she stepped down as president and really only had a role of kind of a spokesperson. By the time the company was sold to Heinz in the late 70s, she wasn't even really a part of that decision at all. And I believe that it was some classic boys club uh, sexism. And, you know, she wasn't standing up for herself, didn't really know how to advocate herself for herself and probably didn't even understand how uh, valuable and worthwhile her um, ideas and input was. And, you know, she was sort of, um, pushed aside. We've got somebody sent us a message on Instagram who has already read your book and really likes it. Um, she writes, she's a terrific writer, that's for you. Her stories were emblematic of what many young women went through during the you've such a pretty face phase of our teens and 20s. At 60, I keep on Weight Watchers on and off because the only way to learn how to deal with weight, the hardest part of being overweight is being completely invisible. I'm sort of, I'm curious, unfortunately we're running out of time, but I wanted to ask you about Weight Watchers' struggles to remain relevant in the word of wellness, where the word diet is kind of out of, out of, it's kind of a four letter word. A little bit these days, you know, but has it just been repackaged as wellness? How does, how does this company trying to, to exist. I mean, it's also had a lot of criticism for trying to market to kids. Mm-hmm. Well, as far as dieting, it's true that we live in this era where we use all these euphemisms to talk about dieting, uh, but we call it clean eating or we're doing a cleanse or, you know, we're just eating healthy for a spell. And Weight Watchers has always tried to jump on the latest trends and evolve with the times. In the 80s, they had their own aerobics programs and their own talk show. Um, And so now, with wellness being the hottest thing of the moment, they have rebranded themselves as WW, sort of like KFC, 
and um, you know, wellness is now the reason to join. I personally don't think it's the best idea in that I think we can all see through it. And I don't know that anyone is really joining Weight Watchers for reasons other than wanting to lose some weight, which is perfectly acceptable. It's okay to lose weight. Sometimes I think it would be a better approach to, you know, re-embrace Jean Neidich and have her be some kind of retro mascot. You know, she had a lot of very funny um, things to say about how we should just put down the fork. Maybe a no-nonsense message like that would feel fresh after all this time of uh, kind of woo-woo, touchy-feely talk about our feelings and food. The name of the book is This Is Big. How the Founder of Weight Watchers Changed the World and Me. Marissa Meltzer, thank you so much for joining us. And callers, tweeters, and Instagram messengers, thank you so much for weighing in as well. Marissa, congrats on the book. Thank you, and thank you everyone for calling in. All of it is supported by Majuri, makers of handcrafted, ethically sourced jewelry for every day that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Majuri has taken the guesswork out of gifting offering everything from dainty 14K solid gold pieces to pearls, diamonds, gemstones, and more. Make it personal with an engraving, or if you can't decide, check out their curated gift guide. Let them take care of the rest, gift wrapping included. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus easy returns and a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it.